jump into Galatians chapter 4, and on this journey, we've been having conversations uh, as Paul kind of explains some of the dynamics of, of what's going on between living by the law and living by grace, trying to measure up and, and trying to find a standard that, um, that makes us right, or living in the freedom of grace. And so a few weeks ago, we, we talked about how, you know, grace doesn't abolish the law, Grace supersedes the law. Grace doesn't kick the law to the curb. It, it, it says you, you weren't good enough. You revealed the fact that, that we can't live according to the law. And now we need grace. We need to live in the freedom that God has designed us for. Basically relationship, fellowship. God didn't design us to be able to follow a, a certain set of rules. He wasn't interested in, in, in you know, kind of behavior modification. God is interested in intimate relationship. So when we talk about that, we, we immediately go to, to think about Christ. Christ didn't come down to earth because he was kicked out of heaven. He wasn't voted out of heaven. He didn't pick the short straw. You know, he came willingly putting on flesh to give us unmerited favor, to give us grace, to step into that void that Pastor Eric was talking about and to say, I love you this much that I will stretch out my hands. I will give my life for you so that you can now have something different. I will fulfill the law so that you can have my spirit. And so there's a huge difference between just saying, you know what, all right, a Christian, a follower of God, a, a lover of Christ is someone who is simply obedient. There's a huge difference between that and someone who says, a follower of Christ is someone that walks with God, the friend of God. Remember Jesus speaking to his disciples, he says, I don't I don't call you servants anymore. Now I call you friends. The, the goal is communion. The goal is intimacy. The goal is, is walking hand in hand and arm in arm with Christ to be able to live a daily journey. And I got to tell you, um, this, is, this is something that is, is pretty uncomfortable. To be able to talk about freedom, to be, able to, talk about, to be able to talk about grace, because the law seems so safe, doesn't it? I mean, the law tells me this is, this, these are the lines that I need to live inside. Color inside of these lines, and in the end, the, the picture is going to be beautiful. But that's, that's not what God designed us for. And so we talked about how the law, was, the law was really a guardian. The law was like a nanny. You know, the law told us all of the little instructions of what we needed to do so that we could, we could live rightly, we could live well. You know, take a spoonful of sugar, it helps the medicine go down. You know, the, the Mary Poppins kind of mentality. You know, and if you just do all of these things right, you know, I'll walk beside you, I'll give you the basic instructions. You do all these things right, you know, and the wind's going to blow and we're all going to put up our umbrellas and we're going to float off into heaven to see the face of Jesus. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't, doesn't work, right? But the law was our nanny, and, and I get this, I understand this with my kids, you know. I wish it was just as simple as saying, you know, hey, JL, Elijah, Aria, go and, and get, take a shower and come back to me clean, bathed, and in your pajamas. I wish it just kind of worked that way. I wish I could just say that and, and, and that they would walk in that, but, but I, need to, I need to be a parent. I need to give them instruction. Sometimes I'd have to get them the, the minutia of it. Hey, go and get in the, get in the shower. Uh, take your clothes off first and, and put your clothes in the hamper and get in the shower and turn the water on and use soap and wash everything. 
No, really, wash everything. Yes, I mean in between your toes and, and your boolies. That's what we call booties in our house. Um, boolies. Um, and, and wash it all and then, and then rinse off. And okay, and then, okay, it's time to get out and dry off before you put your clothes on. Yes, and, and then hang your towel up, your wet towel on the towel rack. Come on, come on. You, you know, but no, you don't know better. You, you need instruction. You need to be cared for. You need to be nurtured. And the law, that's what it did for us. It, it, it nurtured us. It, it guided us. But the law is for the immature. The law is for the immature. The law is for the ones who, who want to just kind of, you know, um, stay in that place of, of being coddled and living outside of consequences and living in that place of, all right, just tell me what to do and I'll just be obedient and, and it's be happy. The law, the law doesn't bring freedom. The law doesn't bring grace. And so often for us, you know, we find ourselves kind of trying to live by the law in some way. And, and, and the law is defined by how much we know about God. Culturally, we don't have, you know, 613 Mosaic laws to follow. But culturally, one of the things that we battle is we're always trying to create our own law. How does this work? We see it in ourselves. Maybe it shows itself in the way that you load the dishwasher. Every plate has to be at just the right angle. The plates go here. The cups go here. Make sure that that top rack has only the items designated for the top rack, right? Yes, amen. Yeah, and we get this kind of like perfectionism, living by the law. Look at me. I'm so right, and I will show you. I will teach you. I will be your master in the ways of the dishwasher. Or maybe it shows itself in the way that we justify not putting on our seatbelt. Oh, no one's going to tell me what to do. I create my own law. And the laws begin to revolve around our own comfort. The laws begin to revolve around what's right for me. And you do what's right for you, and I'll do what's right for me. And you stay out of my business, and I'm going to stay out of your business. Or at least I'll try. I'm still, I'm still wavering on that part of the law. The, my, my law's best for you too don't you know or maybe the law reveals itself in the way that we say we're sorry you ever have someone uh, offend you and it comes out in public and so they come to you and they say hey I'm sorry and, and this is the way they do it hey I'm really sorry that you got your feelings hurt what what, what kind of an apology is that 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 I'm sorry that Basically, you're saying that, that you're sorry that, that I'm emotionally in, unstable. That's, that's what you're saying to me. You're saying that I'm, that I'm weak. You're saying that I have a problem. You're saying that, that I should have been strong enough, but, but you'll satiate me by saying, I'm sorry. No, this, this is something that I experienced very early on in my marriage with Renee the first few years. We've been married 12 and a half years, but the first few years, I had this real problem with I'm sorry. See, because according to my law, well, I'd taken a criminology class, and so I knew that there's no crime without a motive, right? So my law was, I didn't mean to hurt you, therefore, I don't have to say I'm sorry. Garbage. Absolute garbage. The law of, of grace says anywhere that we offend, the law of grace gives us the humility to be able to identify all of our failures, to sit in honesty and authenticity about them and be able to say, yes, I'm sorry that I caused you pain. Will you forgive me? 
I want to live in unconditional love. I do not desire to cause you pain. But I'm going to be honest. Relationships are going to cause pain. And grace gives us the ability to say we're sorry with true hearts, to be able to apologize and not live in some version of self-righteousness. Because really that's all that's happening is, is when we're living according to our own law, you know, our own standards of perfectionism or, or living by our pride or living by our own comfort, then basically all we're doing is creating self-righteousness. Oh, we can spot self-righteousness in other people a mile away, can't we? Oh, there it is. Oh, that's so disgusting. But, but me, well, the same standard doesn't really apply to me. Self-righteousness is an infection. And the truth of the matter is that righteousness outside of Christ is just self-righteousness. That's the reason that Christ had to come is so that, that we could be made right with God. We could be justified. Pastor Eric talked about this last week in putting on Christ. And literally what that means, the, the picture is, is that we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That we submit our lives to Christ, that we want to follow him, we identify his love, we respond to that love. And now when, Christ lo when God looks at us, he only sees Christ. I have this huge cloak of Christ on me. God has separated my sins as far as the east is from the west. And now I stand righteous before God. We all have these questions, all right? What do I need to live by? What is right? And Pastor Mark kind of addressed this, you know, um, in, in chapter 3, where Paul talks to the, to the Galatians and he says, listen, you guys are, are being foolish. You're trying to continue in the flesh what was started in the Spirit. This, this, you, were re, you were given a, a, a new life. You were reborn by the Spirit of God. But now you're trying to you're trying to take a step backwards and you're trying to live according to performance and live according to the law. And what happens is, it, is it, we, get, we get trapped in this mentality of, of having to live in the present. This is the way that it works. We live day to day. We live moment to moment. We're creating our own law. And we're trying to live up to our own standards, standards and we're holding other people in account to our own standards. But we can't afford to look back. We can't afford to look at the past because the past reveals all of our failures. Not only that, the past shows us all of the times that we've changed the law. Looking at the past, if we were honest and authentic, reveals to us how many times we haven't even lived up to our own standards. All of the places that we've sold ourselves out. All of the places that we've been untrue to what we believed. And because of that, we get trapped in the present. And not only that, it, it destroys the future because we can have no hope of change and peace and reconciliation in the future because when we look at the past, we only see all of our shortcomings. Now, living in the present is an amazing gift. Living in the present is awesome, but it's not the, the full perspective. If you look in Matthew chapter 5 through 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks a lot about this and gives us some amazing insights kind of into how to live daily as a follower of Christ, being a peacemaker, being poor in spirit, praying for those that persecute you, blessing those who are against you, all these kinds of things. And in chapter 6, he says, hey, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. 
Don't, don't worry about where you're going to lay your head and where you're gonna, what you're going to eat and what you're going to put on. Just, just focus on today. But, but the promise isn't just about you know, this, this idealistic and, and exclusionary and compartmentalized mentality. It is the life of grace that says, I have been accepted in Christ. I am a follower of Christ. I am the brother of Christ. And so all of my past has been forgiven. My slate is clean, and now I have hope for transformation and change and the renewing of my mind in the future. And that's why I can be fully present, experiencing the grace of God, living in this freedom. It's a wonderful thing. Grace brings us into God's reality. And if we know the big picture, then we don't get sucked into this trap. But a lot of times what we do, especially in our culture, is we begin to kind of block out some of the other dynamics of life. We get education. We get, we get this, this input from, from professors and philosophers and psychologists who begin to speak these things to us and they narrow our vision to be able to have, give us reasons and, and excuses for all of the problems going on in the world. And we have sociological reasons and we talk about poverty and crime and, and how they work together and cause and effect. And we talk about psychological reasons and, and nature and nurture and blame it on your mom or blame it on your dad. And we just continue the blame game. And God says, you know what? Hey, guess what? Those are all pieces of the puzzle, but don't forget the spiritual reality. That void, it's a deep hunger for grace. That voids a deep hunger for something spiritual to reconcile the psychological, to reconcile the emotional and the sociological and the things that, that my flesh desires, to reconcile all of those things and to teach me how to show rightly. And what happens and, and what Paul is going to be talking about here as we jump into Galatians 4, starting in verse 8, is he's going to let us get this insight into what the law is. So in verse 8, he says, Before you Gentiles knew God, Gentiles, just non-Jews, you were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say, now that God knows you, why do you go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? You were trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. So what he's telling us is, is that there were these gods that you were following, specifically in that culture, literal idols, false gods. Study some Greek mythology, some Roman mythology. These are, these are all of the things that were going on in this area of Galatia. Man-made gods, gods that, that Paul says, they're not even real, they're impotent, they're powerless. They can't affect change in your life. They can only suck the life out of you and leave you empty and unsatisfied. And he said, basically what you're doing is you're, you're living by the basic spiritual principles. God wants to give you grace and bring you into his reality, but what, you're, what you've done, what you, what, what's happening to you is you're just living by the basic spiritual, spiritual principles. What is this? It's the law. It's the Mosaic law that he's referring to, but also that is just the, the simple basis of, of how we view the world, good and evil. Is there good? Is there evil? Okay, we're identifying those things. Is there right and is there wrong? Creating moral and, and, and social norms. Jumping into ethics. And creating a law. 
And what Paul's saying is, by staying in that realm, all you're really doing is you're basically just kind of playing around with the ABC building blocks of the law. When God wants you to go into the wide open spaces of grace. I was at Barnes and Noble with, with my daughter, JL, uh, a couple days ago. And we found the $2 bin. You know, all these wonderful things, you know, $30 books, $50 books for $2. And there are puzzles and there's games and there's these little toys. And we start digging for buried treasure and we're going through all of these things. And, and she finds this puzzle. And she's like, Daddy, can I get this? And I'm like, JL, who's, who's seven, that's a thousand piece puzzle. And she's like, yeah, I can do it. I'm like, all right, you can do it. Yes, you can, you can do it. We'll, we'll go for it, you know. And, and then she keeps digging around, and then she finds uh, the, this little toy, essentially a, a baby toy. And she's like, Daddy, can I get this? I'm like, well, why don't you look at that thing? Tell me what you see there. And she starts looking at it, and, and she's like, it's a, it's a baby toy. I'm like, yeah. What, what's, what's the age thing on there? And she's like, it's for, for, for kids about three, three and older. And she's like, I'm seven. And right there in front of me, the, the, that tension played out, you know. We have this desire to live by the law. We have the, this desire to kind of play with these ABC building blocks. We have the, the desire to be coddled and to just kind of stay in these safe places. Let me, let me just color in the lines. You know, they have the things now you can just, you don't even have to have color. You just smear water all over the page and out comes this beautiful picture with all these different colors. Oh, it's glorious. But in that same moment, she was experiencing, I have the desire to still just kind of be the baby. She's the oldest of three. And then at the same time, I'm ready to tackle the thousand-piece puzzle, here-I-come world, you know? And these kinds of tensions of, a, of I want to stay in that immaturity and not have the consequences, but I want to grow, and I want to learn, and I want to find out freedom. These basic principles, we just get stuck in semantics. This plays out in our daily life. You see it all over Facebook. You see it in political conversations. You see it in talk about people's rights. And what happens here is we begin to, to basically stay in the semantics. Oh, you know what? You know, let me teach you about the law. Let me teach you about what is right. You, you you're denying people these rights. Oh, you're just a hater. But I'm going to hate you for hating Oh, you're so intolerant, but I'm going to be intolerant of you being intolerant. Semantics. You're just playing with the building blocks of the law. You're not living in the freedom of grace. And God says, I want you to step into the wide open spaces of grace. I want you to, to step out of the kiddie pool where you keep complaining about somebody splashing some chlorine water in your eyes. And I want you to throw on the snorkel and the mask. And I want you to dive deep into the oceans of grace and find the beautiful treasures I have for you there. But sometimes we're just too content to stay in these places. And that's what Paul's talking about. And he begins to, to challenge the Galatians. And in verse 11, he expresses something very personal. He says, I fear for you. Perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things. For I have become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. I want you to be free. I'm afraid that you're stepping into these places where you're, 
where you're not going to find the fullness of God. We're going to start devouring each other. We're going to create these ideas of what's right. You're going to create your own law, which is going to create self-righteousness. And I find that in my own life, and I see it all around me, it is far too easy for me to sacrifice others on the altar of my self-righteousness. This is not what the people of Christ do. This is not what the people of God do. Grace brings us into God's reality. And if we're truly God's people, then we're going to be the people of grace. We're going to be the people of second chances. We don't return evil for evil. We don't define evil simply for the sake of showing someone else how evil they are. We won't take the word of God and use it as a sword to hack other people to pieces. We will be peacemakers. We will love the unlovely. If indeed we are the children of God, these are the things that we will do and we will be fully present and not confine ourselves to some kind of self-righteous law, but we will step in and follow God and live a life by His Spirit, moment by moment, being available to Him. One of the greatest lessons that I've learned just from simply being in community with you guys is being able to look around me at the way you respond, the way you live out grace. So when I have that temptation, when, I, when somebody says something that I'm like, oh, that's just not quite right, here, let me correct you. <laughs> let me enlighten you. Let me show you what's real. Let me show you how far off you are about who God is, you know. Then I begin to look around, I hit the pause button, and I pray. And I say, God, help me, give me wisdom. And I look around at the people around me who I trust, the people who are older and wiser, the people that are seasoned in their walk with God. They've walked with God as a friend longer than I've been alive. And I say, what are they doing? And so the question for us is, who's your pastor? Who is a spiritual leader in your life? Who is your mentor? Who is the one who you have given the license to dig deep into your life so that they can draw out the best things, they can help you grow, they can speak words of encouragement and truth, they can challenge you, you can find the places where, where you're just simply not measuring up. This is the beauty of the body of Christ. This is the beauty of accountability. Otherwise, what happens when I live by my own law is I find that I'm actually living not even up to my own standards. I'm intolerant of others. I hate those that, that hate others. And I begin to end up being a hypocrite. Getting upset with people who don't see God's love does not result in them seeing God's love. It results in us misrepresenting God. And this is a great challenge for us to dive into grace. And I think grace scares us sometimes. Grace scares us when we start talking about loving people unconditionally. Well, what if they think that I'm justifying their sin? No, Christ, while Christ died for us while we were still sinners. He wasn't afraid to say I love you while we hated him. He wasn't afraid to, to give us everything, to give us all we needed for life and godliness while we were still at war and didn't even know him. That's the example of grace. It's a tough reality. and begs the question, well, do I really want grace or do I want the law? Do I want grace for everyone? 
Or maybe I just want grace for me and my version of the law for everyone else. It's really tough for us to answer these things. But the truth of the matter is, is our reality is going to change as we respond to the grace of God. Change is constant. God wants to mold us and shape us. He wants to conform us into the image of Christ. He wants to give us the freedom to walk beside God hand in hand, not bound by law and religiosity. And this is really a question that goes beyond, you know, just is this for a follower of Christ? This is a human question. Am I willing to just live by the law? Am I willing to live by my own standard? It's okay to be a skeptic. It's okay to be agnostic. It's it's okay to to challenge whether I can know and to doubt. And and I encourage you to doubt your doubts. And to be able to ask the question, do I really want to live by the law? Because the older we get as we live by the law, the more we see that the law is broken and become jaded because there is no justice in the world. It's broken. And the only thing we can do is cast ourselves on the grace of God and let him live graciously through us. Do you want to live by your own standards? Do you want to live by someone else's standards? How is that working for you? What is that bringing forth in your life? Are you joyful? Are you free? Are you inspired? Are you filled with hope? Do you find that you have virtue flowing out of you? Are you merciful? Are you patient? Are you satisfied with life? Even in trial, do you find that you're content because you're so satisfied with the grace of God? If you say no, then dive in deep. And that's what Paul encourages the Galatians to do in verse 21. He says, tell me, you who want to live under the law, do you know what the law actually says? The scriptures say that Abram had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. Verse 28. And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. But you are now being persecuted by those who want to keep you, who want you to keep the law. Just as Ishmael, the child born of human effort, persecuted Isaac the child born of the power of the Spirit. But what do the scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son. For the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. So, dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman. We are children of the free woman. The law revolves around human effort. And what Paul is trying to paint for us, this this picture, is he's going back to the story from Genesis where God comes to Abraham and says, Hey, Abe, I'm going to give you a son and I'm going to bless all of the nations through you. Your descendants are going to be more numerous than the sands of the seashore, even though your wife, Sarah, is barren. He gives him this promise when when Abraham is, is, is 90 years old and his wife is 80 years old. And then a decade goes by, and, and Sarah and Abraham begin having this conversation. Well, hey, I think God, I don't know, maybe, maybe we didn't hear God, right? You know, hey, Abe, you're 100, uh, I'm 90, right, I'm, I'm going to bring forth a child. Sure, I mean, just think about that for a moment. A 90-year-old woman just carrying a child, much alone going through the birthing process. 
And she's like, this is impossible. So guess what? I, I think we need to help God out. I think we need to save God. I think we need to defend God. God's faithfulness is in jeopardy. God needs our help. And so they come up with this plan for Sarah to give Abraham Hagar, her maidservant. I'll tell you what, sleep with Hagar, maybe God will bless us and bring forth a son, and maybe, that, maybe that's the way God wants to work it out. And so Abraham does, and then has a one-night stand with Hagar, gives birth to Ishmael, and God comes to Abraham and says, no, that, that's not the son of promise. Get rid of the slave woman and her son. Sounds harsh. But grace can't live with the law. Grace supersedes the law. It doesn't abolish the law. It just can't work with the law. It is not fit under the constraints of the law. Grace gives us freedom. And so Hagar is, is shunned. She is kicked out of the household. And as God brings forth Isaac, the son of promise. It sounds harsh, but God does not abandon Hagar. God himself goes and finds Hagar in the wilderness and woos her and hears her cry and promises her, listen, I am going to bless your son Ishmael as well. I'm going to keep my, my promise to Abraham. His seed is going to, to be blessed. But out of that one night stand came all of the strife of the Middle East. Two nations arose, Ishmael and Isaac, the Muslim nation and the Israel nation. The Jews and the Muslims. And God was willing to bless even the efforts of the human, even though it would cause strife for the rest of recorded history, even to this day. Constant reverberation and reminding us we need to live by grace. We don't need to save God. God is our salvation. God didn't need Abraham to save him, and God doesn't need us to defend him. He wants us to represent him. He wants us to love. He wants us to experience his grace and to share it. And we have to remember that through Christ, I am justified, and my sin is wiped out. My sin is not justified. And the freedom of grace is that God wants us not to misrepresent him by keeping ourselves and other people under the law, but to represent him by giving people grace and unconditional love, flowing freely from our communion with him, our relationship with him. He's not interested in us showing up on a Sunday. He's interested in us walking moment by moment with him every single day in the grasp of grace. Overthinking grace begins to make excuses for ourselves and for other people. Don't overthink grace. Let's live in it by the power of God's Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. This is, this is your word. It's living, it's breathing. There's so many dynamics that are going on here. There's so much truth. And Lord, help us to, to move past just playing around with the building blocks of the law making these false constructs. Lord, help us to be intellectually and emotionally and spiritually honest. That there is a great void, there's a great chasm, there are so many things that we can't explain, and yet you hold the keys through grace. Lord, we pray that as followers, as children, 
for those of us that are called by your name, Lord, that you would give us an appetite for more and more grace, that we would abound in grace, that we would grow in grace, that we would not settle for a nanny, but that we would go straight to you as a father, as the lover of our souls. We pray for this miracle, Lord, through the work of your spirit. In the strong name of Jesus, amen. Thank you.